Welcome to Rugged Theology, where we talk theology, church planting, and drink coffee. Rugged Theology is a podcast of Mile One Mission, where we seek to make churches in St. John's, Newfoundland, Canada. So, gentlemen. Hey. Hey, everybody. Everybody good? <laughs> Morning. Yeah, good. Morning. Just for Got the your record, coffees, the, I, for those I, of you who still drink it? I don't have coffee. Absolutely. Okay. Well, Matt, we need to work on your salvation. I'm exactly. The only one who doesn't have coffee. So, in the midst of all of this, uh, we as a ministry and a mission desire to spread the gospel through St. John's, Newfoundland by planting churches. But that kind of begs a question, don't you think? What do we mean when we say the gospel? So, that's going to be our conversation today. I got the, actually Greg Gilbert's book here from Nine Marks, and it's called What is the Gospel? Uh, if you're listening and you haven't, read it uh, i definitely recommend it when you open up the book there's an introduction here and it gives you a list on page 18 of a number of definitions of the gospel so i'll read a few out and we can talk about them no you're going to tell us which one is the correct one uh maybe in the end all right yeah because <laughs> for those not listening we did that demonstration in the office and uh me and matt actually got it wrong and dave over there uh, yeah dave they can't see you fist pump the air that's okay. <laughs> See, he's got good theological education. <laughs> Thanks, so Union. So good. He doesn't even need to tell people. He just silently sits there. <laughs> All right, so uh, definition number one. The good news is God wants to show you his incredible favor. He wants to fill your life with new wine. But are you willing to get rid of your old wineskins? Will you start thinking bigger? Will you emerge your vis- enlarge your vision? And get rid of those old negative mindsets that hold you back. I, I, I want to get, get get opinions of that because uh, the <laughs> thing when it comes to each of these definitions of the gospel is, I'd, I'd like to know first of all if you think they're right or wrong. But what do you think is right and wrong for these for each of these definitions? So when it comes to this definition, uh, is there? First of all, show of hands or show of uh, voices. Who thinks that that's the real gospel? Not a chance. Not a chance. No, no way. Hey, we're like twins. Yeah. Did we just become <laughs> best friends? I think we're already best friends. Right, double bubbled, anyways. Okay, yeah, we're yes. double bubbled. Anyway, <laughs> so then, if not a chance, is there anything redeeming about that? definition of the gospel or is it just complete garbage well i I wouldn't be so quick to say that it's garbage it just it doesn't define accurately what the gospel is it talks about kind of like the benefits of the gospel but it doesn't inherently describe the gospel if that makes sense okay adam could you read it out one more time yeah so uh, the good news is god wants to show you his incredible favor he wants to fill your life with new wine but are you willing to get rid of your old wineskins will you start thinking bigger Will you enlarge your vision and get rid of those old negative mindsets that hold you back? The part of the new one is right. I mean, God does want to give us new life. Uh, the Bible describes us as being dead in our sins. Um, we have the vision in Ezekiel about dry bones. Uh, well, I've come to bring life and bring it more abundantly. I mean, it's pretty clear that yeah. Jesus is talking about a more abundant life. Yeah, I think I think the issue there is that... You, is that last part where you start thinking bigger, where you enlarge your vision, get rid of those old negative mindsets. Because again, I don't think the gospel is about being, not being negative, but being positive all the time. And I think this is probably too where a lot of these definitions we'll see if we actually go through a few of them. 
is they they almost have little bits of truth, but it's it's twisted just a little. Um, so even the language of new wineskins, old wineskins, like Jesus directly speaks of that in, in I think it's Mark chapter three. Um, so there's that kind of language that's in there that makes people think, oh, this is biblical, so this this makes sense. But the thing that I would probably that raises my eyebrow, anyways, when I listen to that definition is it seems to make a lot of emphasis on you and less on God. You're the one receiving favor. You need to change your mindset. You, you, you. Um, And I mean, of course, it's a simplistic definition, so there are things, but even in the most simplistic definitions, we need to be even more careful about how we word things. Um, So with so much emphasis on that little, and that little definition of, of you and receiving God's favor, I think there's just even a way of thinking about the gospel that's a little different. Um, I always find it a bit hard to pick apart these definitions because we haven't even described or discussed what the definition of the gospel is. Well, so I guess we'll find it. I know we're we'll building there. up to it, but it's like, I just, I just want to launch into it. Like, right? <laughs> well, I, oh, here's to- the gospel. To- that's totally the evangelical <laughs> mindset. I mean, you know, to give the gospel. Yep. But I mean, I do think it's important to talk about this because I, I do run into a lot of people who say things that are really, really, really close to what the gospel would be, but aren't the gospel. And I mean, the, the problem that I had with that one is that it seems to imagine that our biggest problem isn't our sinfulness or our evil. It's, it's our mindset. Yeah. A, yeah. A, yeah. A low mindset. Mm. Like we're too limited in our mindset as if that's the problem. And well, I mean, you go back to Joel Austin, I knew you by, by Friday or the power of I am. Or your I, best life now. Yeah. I mean, and it's, it's, it's just taking this new age start and like, you no know, years ago, the secret when that came out, you know, positive thinking, put it into the universe. But if the universe is an inanimate thing, the universe can't respond to your thoughts. <laughs> how, like, how, how does that work? And um, so they then add God into it and say that God well responds to your thoughts. But even that's a problem because, you know, the problem isn't that we don't think high enough. It's that we actually think wrongly. We imagine that we are God. And that's not merely a negative thing or a bad thought pattern. That's evil. Yeah, I, I was going to say that, but the thoughts is that not only does it say you know base our issue is our thoughts but the thing is if we're dead in our sin then our thoughts are not going to be righteous or godly or holy in any sense the only reason that we can have you know good thoughts like truly good thoughts is when god has already made a change in our hearts and has spiritually regenerated us or made us alive again you know like it's, it's not us that essentially change our thinking our thinking has changed because god has changed us so this is fun Let's try definition two. On to number two. <laughs> Behind door number two, we have the good news is that God's face will always be turned toward you, regardless of what you've done, where you've been, or how many mistakes you've made. He loves you and is turned in your direction looking for you. Okay. Uh, voice, who votes this is the gospel? Thumbs down. I'm doing my own sound effect. Yeah, thumbs down. Okay, so everybody disagrees with that one. First of all, what if there is going to be a gospel lie here? Then what is the thing that it's saying that you would agree with? Um, I mean, again, uh, God is looking for you. We have the God is seeking out his people. We have the parable of the lost sheep. I mean, it's famously in songs that you leave the 99 to go for the one. Uh, But basically, God is looking for sinners to come to him in, re- in repentance so yeah no he he is looking for you and the idea that 
no, we can't, we can't sin so much that we, you know, follow God's graces. No, God is for you and not against you. These are all good thoughts. I mean, those are the truths that are in that statement. I mean, like, like, so I'm just reading this uh, definition again, and it's, it doesn't talk, it doesn't define the gospel, but it, there's truth in it, right? There's absolute, like Dave was saying, there's little bits of truth in it. Um, the good news is that God's face will always be turned towards you, regardless of what you have done, where you have been, or how many mistakes you've made. He loves you and is turned in your direction, looking for you. Yes, for those God has effectually called and elected, his face will look upon you. He will love you. He will call you to saving grace. Right? Like there's truth in that, but it's just, it's this yes, is John that, Calvin. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I'm here like laughing behind, behind the scene because, well, you know, I'm not a Calvinist, but I'm not really a full Arminian either. I'm kind of in between. But, but uh, all, all I'm saying is that, like there, there's truth in that. Like there, oh, yeah. there's truth in what he's saying, but it's just not well, what, in the context of what yeah, we're I mean, talking it, about. It's, it's truth, but it's not essentially the gospel. There's yeah. nothing wrong with what, what's being said yeah, there. Really. Just within its context. Of yeah. Well, I mean, to draw up theological names, the fourth century theologian, Augustine of Hippo, would have said that uh, there aren't any real complete lies. Lies happen when you have the truth twisted in a certain way. And in fact, very good truths that are twisted are actually the most nefarious of lies because they're the ones you're more likely to believe. Didn't God say... Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, here in this one, we have um, the explanation that, what was it? Uh, God does, in fact, love you. I mean, that God is not, did not come in judgment. You know, he came to seek and to save the lost, as the Bible says. Yep. Uh, but that doesn't mean that, you know, everything is fine and dandy for us. It's not that, like, we're good people that, you know, we just happen to be a little lost. Mm. Again, I, I hate to be harping on the whole, you know, we are actually sinners, we are in rebellion to God, but we are sinners mm. and we're in rebellion to God, independent of God's action. It's not that we're merely lost. We're fighting God. We're opposed to God. We are unrighteous. So let's define the gospel. All right. You really can't wait, can I you? I can't. I'm, okay. Right? I'm just <laughs> Go like, ahead. Busted. Go ahead, bro. All right. Here's the gospel in a phrase. Because Christ died for us, those who trust in him may know that their guilt has been pardoned once and for all. What will we have to say before the bar of God's judgment? Only one thing. Christ died in my place. That's the gospel. Okay. Uh, that's Greg Gilbert's opinion on the gospel. I'd say it's pretty close. Okay. Right. Yeah, I mean, like, again, the we like to think of gospel like all the, well, for lack of a better word, benefits that we get from coming to know God. Uh, we come in spirit and filled. We get God's, you know, God's blessing. He's working out all things for the good of those who, who whom he's called. Um, all these things, and we like to include that. And it's not that they're not part of the gospel. It's that, you know, we want to boil the gospel down to, Basically, if you can tell someone, if you have five minutes to tell someone what the gospel is, you can't go into a big theological discussion or rant. You need to be able to get straight to the core, to like what is at the heart of this message? What is at the heart of this good news? And I think he does it pretty good that, you know, when we get before God, we're not good people. Our guilt has been taken by Jesus. And that when we get to God, we can say, it's not us, it's Christ. Like, I have nothing to bring before you. All I have is to trust in Christ, in Christ alone. 
Now, to be, said, to be clear about it, that doesn't mean that the totality of all the implications of the gospel are included in that phrase. Oh, for sure. No, uh, for sure. The, the gospel is given in a context, and it's given to a people, and it's given that a people would be changed by it. So each of those things, the context that it's given in, namely that God created a good universe, that we fell from sin, that uh, God still is in rule and reign over the universe, and he desires to call people back to himself to live with him for eternity in goodness. That's part, that's the context of the gospel. But I mean, of course, without, you know, Jesus saving us, uh, it's really nice that God has a kingdom, but we'd have no chance of getting into it because uh, I, I don't know about you guys, I look at my own life and I'm not exactly yep. perfect. And, and I think that's the biggest difference between the second definition we read out and the third, is the second one, it, it talked about God seeking us out and things that are true, but it really didn't reference the cross. It didn't reference judgment. It didn't reference, um, I mean, it did reference our sin. I shouldn't say that, but um, there were just a lot of things missing that yeah. are so cr crucial to salvation. Um, and, and, you know, it's it's important, again, like what we're trying to do here is discuss the most accurate definition of the gospel. Um, so we're trying to get, like Adam was saying, to the core of it. If you've got a five-minute window, what is it? What are the things that you need to say that can effectually, that that God can use to to save somebody? Yeah. Um, Though I mean, at some level too, I I, I would think that it's going to change depending on the person I'm talking to. Oh, absolutely. I mean, on average, most of the people that I talk to in the city of St. John's, mm -hmm. at least in the circles that I walk in. Um, when they're talking to me about, you know, uh, God and religion and things like that, they honestly believe that they're good people. I mean, they... they so I'm going to take a stab at this just to maybe define the gospel and see how we go. So it, I'm kind of building off what I've, I've read in, in this book, What is the Gospel by Greg, Greg Gilbert? Because I think he, he sums it up pretty good with four words, God, man, Christ, response. And it, if you want to break it down in 30 seconds, it's kind of like, you know, God created everything, um, including man. Uh, our the parental head of the uh, of humanity being Adam uh, and his wife Eve. They committed cosmic rebellion against God, um, that separated us uh, from God. The relationship was broken. Uh, guilt has been passed down through generations upon generations. We are all found guilty before God. Uh, Christ died uh, a, a sacrificial death. Um, to appease the wrath of God, to satisfy his judgment upon us, and our response is to bend the knee. Bend the knee and submit. Take an arrow to the knee. Take an arrow to the knee. <laughs> like, what, do you, what do you think, guys? Like, like, Yeah, no, I think that's an easy way for people to yeah. grasp what the essence of the gospel is. Uh, I worked at the rec room, which is owned by Cineplex. So it's almost like if there's anyone in the States listening, it's like Dave and Buster's. A lot of arcade machines, a lot of uh, you know music going on and that. And uh, I worked a lot with a lot of younger people than me. I'm 30 odd. And uh, these were like early 20s, so around Dave's age. Yeah, you're so old. I know. I came in with a cane today. Anyway, <laughs> uh, but uh, no, I mean, I was talking to one girl and uh, she was talking about, you know, she came across Jehovah's Witnesses. I was like, yeah, we don't believe the same thing. I was like, here's what we believe. And she's like, do, and she said, 
do we believe that? Is that what we believe? So first, she thought she 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 put herself in the same class as a Christian, you know, having a Catholic heritage. Probably never went to church ever. Maybe a couple masses. Um, she's like, I didn't know that we believe that Jesus was God. And it's such a weird statement. Like, I didn't know that we believed. Yeah. And I was like, wow, like there's so much going on in that one statement. Oh, and, and of course, it's it's going to be important too because when we misunderstand the gospel, if we if we don't actually see the gospel correctly in our own lives, even we as believers, it's going to it's going to end up with some pretty wackadoodle understandings when we're talking about it and when we're living our regular lives. Yeah, we uh, you, you, we need to be able to know ourselves, including like people who just regularly attend church, um, to pick up on those nuances of what <laughs> bits of truth are weaved in between lies, like, you know, uh, the feel-good stuff. I came across a clip of a sermon by Stephen Furtick, and uh, my mother-in-law listened to him a lot. Well, she said, like, I know I listened to him before. I was like, he, like, you know, his early stuff was fairly solid, uh, probably a little more emotional or a little more like, you know, hyped up than what most people are used to. Uh, but he, he was fairly solid. Uh, but this this one clip, uh, I can't remember what it was, but anyways, there are some things we did and it, it still made it all about you. Um, and like when I brought it up, I could see my mother-in-law's eyes just like pop, like, wow, like she, she never picked up on because it, it sounds so good. Like there's, there's nothing inherently wrong with what you're saying. But when you think about it, it's like, okay, it makes it more about me and what I get from God or how this affects me rather than what I can do for God and for the church, how I can serve God. Yeah, and if you, uh, there's a series of books by a guy named Christian Smith where he did, we traced a cohort of believers through their young adulthood, their childhood, young adulthood into adulthood. And uh, he came up with a phrase that kind of, explains what I think on average we have as Christianity. Uh, moralistic, therapeutic deism. Yeah. We're very moral. You know, we it's good to be good. Uh, we Absolutely. don't want to be bad. Um, we don't want to preach immorality. Right. And God, and God is therapeutic. So if we've got problems, we can go to God and God will fix them. But deism, God exists. He's out there somewhere. But... In our day-to-day lives, he doesn't really matter, and of course, that's that's very different from the gospel that we that uh, Matt just explained to us. Yeah, it's completely different. Yeah. yeah, we have problems. We are riddled with sin. We cannot fix our own sin problem. We need someone else to fix that problem because there's no one good on earth to fix that problem. And so, it, yeah, it, it totally flies in the face of of um of the gospel so yeah and you mentioned the god man christ response uh but there's actually another one too that is brought up uh creation fall was it redemption, redemption. consummation, consummation. Yeah. yeah so basically you know god created everything uh like you said there was a fall where adam and eve sinned brought sin into the world um we were all corrupted by it uh the redemption where christ dies he takes on the wrath of god himself for us uh, in our place so that we can place our faith in him, be saved. And then God, and then consummation where in the end, God, you know, takes care of evil. And we're all those that place in faith in him. We, we are now glorified with him in, in heaven, you know, 
basically heaven on earth because we end up back here again. And notice the words you're using there. Um, In a lot of the cases we were using in the early examples of what gospel was, we talked about how, you know, we can live a larger life or we can change our thoughts or we just need to change our thoughts a little bit or conversely, we need to uh, recognize that God loves us and that, you know, God's, uh, that it's, that, you know, his, he is for us. And everything that you just said, the only thing that humans are adding are the sin that we need to be saved from. Um, yeah, and we just keep adding to the problem. Well, pretty much. And at the same time, God works through all of this. God created in the beginning. We give the fall. God brings about redemption from the fall. God consummates things through his, uh, through his work in the Holy Spirit in our lives and to bring us to a final consummation with himself in, in heaven. It's God, God, God. Yeah, yeah. Um, and no, we like to make ourselves the hero of the story, and we're, we're not. We're not the hero of our own story. We're, we're the villain, if anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm always thankful for that, sp- that place in Romans, you know, where, where sin abounded, grace abounded all the more. So if you think about even just the sin that you have in your life, up to, say, me, my 31 years, that's a lot of sin already. I have more years to go on this earth already. But where my sin abounds, God's grace is even far above that. Right. Uh, that's... Which is where the second one was right. Yeah. The, the second definition was correct. It was telling us that God, instead of com- coming to defeat us, to destroy us, as we so richly deserved, he came to save, to seek and to save the lost, as we talked about in the first one. Yeah, I mean, God is definitely for us. Uh, we just need you know, the more essence of the gospel to put that into perspective. That you know, we can't just be telling people, "Yeah, God is for you, so keep living your life the way you're living now." That's that's not the gospel. The gospel produces change in us by placing our faith in Christ. Yeah, and and again, like you might be listening right now and thinking, "Well, what? Why does all this even really matter?" And it's going to be a bit blunt what I'm about to say, but I mean, the difference is between saying God seeks you and then actually giving them a gospel message with, with God, man, Christ response and those elements. Well, it's the difference between somebody going to hell and somebody going to heaven. Yeah. No, absolutely. Right. So that like, this is why this is an important conversation to be had. This is why we need to be clear about the gospel because their soul is at stake. Well, and, and I mean, that's the ultimate big one, but I, I'd also say that there's a, even a more immediate, uh, response and, and result of this. I think that the gospel actually has implications for the way we live now. Oh, absolutely. I mean, if if I actually believe that, centrally speaking, God loves me as I am and seeks nothing about that, I don't need to be introspective. I don't need to worry about anything that's going on in my life. I don't need to worry about when I read my Bible that half of the things that I'm doing are horrible things according to God's standards. Um, I don't need to care about that because, you know, after all, God loves me. Or conversely, if, you know, it's just my ba- my thinking's too small, I mean, uh, all I have to do is get my ambition up there and be really, really solidly ambitious and mm-hmm. God will accept me. Yeah, and what happens if, you know, how big does your thinking have to be, right? Like if, if your life is crap, like you lost your job, uh, Maybe your wife left you and things keep going downhill. And it's like, but I'm thinking positively. I'm thinking positively. Nothing's changing. I must have to think more positively. Like, mm-hmm. you know, we're, we're, what point 
it's just threshold for how positive you actually have to be. Yeah. Or in the other one, if we say so much that God loves you, I mean, bad things really do happen to good people. Yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah. Bad things happen to bad people. Well, good things happen to bad people. Yeah. Things happen to people. And things happen to people. <laughs> no one is good. No, not hey, one. Hey, well, bye. save Jesus, but and killed him. <laughs> the one good person we, got killed. Yeah, we, we killed the one good person. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yes, we did. But but to bring it back even to especially to kind of what Steve was saying in the immediate context of what does it mean to to understand that gospel and and what does that mean for our lives today in the immediate. I mean, the reality is no matter who you are, we're all created in an image and we're created in an image and we're created in a way that we, we yearn, we, we seek relationship um, and we worship things. We, we pour ourselves in to different things. And I mean, even if you're not a Christian listening to this, you, you pour yourself into your job, into your relationships, into other things. And essentially God is the only object of our worship that that can really satisfy what we seek satisfy what we want and really give us the true joy so there's there's just such a a deep and genuine outcome of application when you believe the gospel when you understand the promises of god that he that he brings out in his word that that you know the great promises that he works things according to our good the great promises that he seeks us out um even just learning about who God is, his character, his goodness, his love, these things, they all point to us having such a deep feeling of worship and praise um, in a way that's really, truly satisfactory. And at the same time, it keeps us from actually getting arrogant about it. Yeah. The fact is, a Christian should never be an arrogant person because beginning to end, we say that the only thing that recommends us to God is Jesus. Not my righteousness, not my good works, not the fact that you know I happen to be stunningly handsome and a great and a great speaker. It's all about Jesus. Yeah, and so that's going to mean then that when I'm talking to people who disagree with me, I don't think that they're any worse than me because I don't know they're not as smart as me or they're not as spiritual as me or whatever, because all of that's irrelevant. Yeah, I, I mean, I've seen that, those short posts on Facebook or somewhere, and this guy was basically saying, yeah, I'm not a sheep, so I'm not going to wear a mask. So basically you're saying your opinion is right, uh, and everyone else is just, you know, they're all... Well, they're all at least wrong. <laughs> yeah, they're, 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 all, they're all wrong. Like, I'm the right one. You guys are all dumb, and you're, you're wrong. Well, actually, that's, that's kind of the, an important point, too, because usually in our society we don't just say you're wrong. No. If you're wrong, it's because you're stupid or evil. You disagree with me, so you're, you're, you're bad. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, that, uh, and, of course, the gospel says that, yes, you are bad, and that's irrelevant, so am I. Yeah. But, I mean, it's, it's more than, yeah, I mean, for the gospel, it's more than just, I'm right, so you're bad. It's, you know, you're bad, and I'm bad. And Jesus is right. Right. Jesus is the only right one because he's the only good one. So it's not like, again, we don't like it when the mirror is pointed back at ourselves and we're the uh, stupid ones or we're the evil ones because we all feel like we're right. I'm so. going to push back a little there. I'd actually say, okay, it's it doesn't feel good at the beginning to have the mirror pushed back at us. But I think there's something deeply liberating about recognizing that I don't have to be God. I don't have to actually 
reconcile the universe. I am not the one who's going to work all things together for good for those who love and serve God and are called according to his purposes. And thank God for that. Amen. <laughs> so let me let me ask you guys a question. Let me just change it up here. So within within context of Newfoundland, you know, Newfoundland has a pretty deep history with Christianity going back 500 years. Um, why does the gospel, as it has been defined, fly in the face of the religiosity of Newfoundland? Or particularly, you know, we're, we're on the Avalon Peninsula, right? So why, why does the gospel challenge and fly in the face of many people here on the Avalon? Or even well, St. John's? Why not? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Take a page from your book. Right. Right. Um, I'm just trying to think of a way to say it in a compact way. That's <laughs> You can do it. You can do it. I'll just start and see where it goes. So, I mean, the first thing that, that immediately jumps to me with, with the idea of religiosity is, and especially here in a Newfoundland context, right? It's, it's the idea that if if I can do enough good things, if I can be a good person, which, I mean, we all assume that we are, right? Because we, we try and do good things and stuff like that. Um, and there are definitely worse people out there than me, so I can't be that bad. If I am even a little bad, I'm basically good. Um, so that's that's one thing right away. That, that's that's a huge flag, right? Like, because there's, there's nothing that we can do to be good people from, from God's perspective in and of ourselves. We are depraved. We, we we sin. We're sinners, um, and that in in a way of in a worldview of of justice, that means that that sin has to be punished. Um, I mean, just even even from our worldly perspective, if somebody murders somebody else, or even think about, um, you know, somebody like Hitler, you know, people like people don't have a huge problem with that idea of justice that those people deserve to go to jail or or whatever, right? Um, but we do have a problem with justice when it's ourselves. Well, because I'm so much better than Hitler or those people who are going to Exactly. Help. I'm basically good. But the gospel tells us, no, we're, we're bad um, yeah. and God is good. But the other thing, so the other thing that flies in the face of, of religiosity is that, well, it's our favor, like God's favor that we, we receive. It's not about even what we do or, or what, we, what we deserve because Christ, it's all by grace. It's all achieved by Christ. Yeah, so I guess that would probably be the big thing that jumps out to me is just the idea of, of goodness and sin and grace. I think, too, uh, Newfoundland is very old, if you know what I mean. I mean, we've been here 500 years. We've been here 500 years. Yeah. We've been, there are a lot of really deep roots here. Mm. I can track my family, at least uh, according to my brother who did the, did the family tree, back, I think it's 300, 400 years before we hit Europe. Like it's it's a long, long time. I mean, there were people from my from my family, uh, apparently, in Cupids in the in, near the beginning, here. Yes, bye. So, but with that kind of thing, that means that we've got a long history of living here, of being, you know, kind of familial, of having to be in each other's lives yeah, yeah. a great deal. And it's hard for us to say then that you know. Well, I know them, and they're they're kind of like me, and so they're good, and I'm good, and we're all good. And if I don't say that, then I'm going to end up saying things like, "Well, that guy who you know 
is a good guy. He's like, folks, it, it, it feels to me like I'm saying something negative about him or saying that he's less than me because I happen to know Jesus and he did he doesn't. Oh man, a big thing here too is like uh, surnames, right? Last name, oh, so and so. Yeah, they're that family. They're they're no good. Like they're always up to something. Yep. They're uh, that family. They're known for that. Or this family. They're they they did this so many years ago, and it sticks to you here, man. So this so, is what like, I'm hearing then I, from from Dave. I'm hearing that. The reason why the definition of the gospel flies, the biblical definition of the gospel flies in the face of what many believe in Newfoundland is because many believe they're inherently good people when the gospel says, well, you, you're not, you're, you're sinful. And then from Steve's, what, you, what you're communicating is that people kind of fall in the, the steep roots traditionalism of ticking boxes. And if I just say my prayers or I just go to, Mass once a year, twice a year. If I'm just like ev- as good as everybody else. Yeah, there you go. And, and the gospel, biblical definition says, well, no, you can you can go to church 10,000 times a year. You can say your prayers a bazillion times a day, but it's not quite where, you know, it's, you're still missing the mark, right? Yeah, I mean, like like our definition at the beginning said that we, just, that we settled on. Uh, when you go before God, it's Christ you claim. Yeah, right. You don't claim not Christ plus. Yeah, it's not like, hey, God, uh, I you know I got I, I believe in Jesus, but look at all these other things I've also done. You know, you, you don't get chips that you get to cash in with God. And be like, I t- attended mass like twenty times, man. This one year, like you you owe me for that. No, God doesn't owe you anything. Yeah, and I mean the standard too isn't everybody else. It isn't my family. It isn't the best person I know. The standard is God. Yeah, your, your church doesn't save you, your upbringing doesn't save you, your pocketbook doesn't save you, your status in society doesn't save you, your morality doesn't save you, it's Christ. Mm-hmm. Right. So similarly, it, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, too, to add on a little bit to, to what I was saying before about being a good person, to kind of just flesh that out a little bit more. Um, the reason that that, that that really matters in the context that we're talking about is because when when we think we're good people in that sense, what what we're really saying is we think that we're good so that somehow God owes us or we, we deserve to be with God or we must somehow be right with God based on what we do. Yeah. Right. It's, it's that essence of, we think we can, I'm going to throw out a bit of a theological term here. We can be justified based on our actions so we can be made right with God based on, you know, the amount of times I go to church and the amount of times I pray or whatever. Right. And that's, that's just not how it works. So justification, um, you stand before God in right standing, right? Justification being your your position of rightness with God, yeah, being yeah, made right be with made God. Just you are seen as yeah. just. Yeah. yeah, and that's a very. I mean, to have faith plus works is a very Catholic view. I mean, let's, let's call a spade a spade. Uh, Roman Catholicism is basically your faith plus works. The right view would be that um, your your faith in Christ would lead naturally to works. You don't do works just because it's the right thing to do. You do works because you become more like Christ. So you act more like Christ. You begin to have more compassion for the poor. You begin to show more mercy because as God works in your life, become you become more Christ-like. That's an example of sanctification. We are becoming more like Christ. We are yeah. being we are being made holy. It's an effect. 
of yeah. the fact that we are yeah. in fact justified. Yeah, and uh, exactly. So it's, I mean, the difference here to use use the term in a sentence and kind of compare, doing works doesn't lead to our justification, but it comes from our yeah. justification. Which, which is the big difference. It's a huge difference. For, for a Roman Catholic, it would lead to your justification. You're justified by your faith and your works. Uh, I mean, it's what Luther would have said in response to Erasmus when he was arguing these kinds of things. It, we are saved by faith alone, mm-hmm. but not a faith that remains alone. Yep. Yep, no, absolutely. Yeah, so, I mean, here we live in the province, uh, at least on the east coast of our province. The Avalon Peninsula is very Catholic-saturated, um, like I said, the girl I mentioned, she had gone to mass. Most of the young people I come in contact with have their, their grandparents were Catholic, and uh, they they would always begin the conversation with, "Yeah, I have been to mass a few times," or you know, "I, I went last year." Or I'm like, "That doesn't matter to me. <laughs> what doesn't what matters to me is you know where your heart is and the means of where do you place your faith," um, and that's. That's what we need to bring to Newfoundland. Well, guys, uh, this has been a great conversation. Uh, we're bordering on about 40 minutes of talking, though, so I'm just going to call this to a head. I guess we should probably uh, say that we're going to probably talk about something similar to this in the near future. But Yeah, ahead. no, I was just going to agree with you because, I mean, obviously we could talk about this for a, for a while longer yet. <laughs> Absolutely. So uh, I'm just going to say... Uh, Thank you to everyone who's listening. Uh, again, remember, this is uh, Rugged Theology, a podcast of Mile One Mission. And if you want to check out Mile One Mission, go to www.mileonemission.ca. And you can hear about all of the great staff here who are working together to uh, help uh, plant churches here in Newfoundland.